Welcome to In the Demo, a show about the stories that get told about groups, how those stories got made, what we think those stories get wrong, and why it matters. You hosts, Farah Bostic is the founder and head of research and strategy of The Difference Engine, a strategic insights consultancy focused on helping business leaders make decisions. Adam Piano, author and brand consultant and managing director of brand strategy at Arizona State University. You are now in the demo. Uh, all right, I'm going to I'm going to title this recording if it'll let me. Uh, season 2 opener. Links. Uh how did the links reading go for you? I had some fun. I haven't had this much fun in a while, clicking around and seeing what <laughs> ridiculous nonsense they were saying. Yeah, I think like just I, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in and say at this point, I don't think that people need us to introduce ourselves and that maybe in season two, we can dispense with the fact that we're both <laughs> Gen X, but one of us is more reluctant about that. than the <laughs> other. Um, I think I think that bit has played out. We can bring it back. That's how bits work. I was reading about this in the Sunday Times magazine. They were explaining bits to me. And I was we like, can, um, yeah, that's where I go for all my comedy tidbits. Explainers. Yeah, yeah. we can retire the bit for sure. If people don't know who we are, they can obviously look at Google, right? Yeah. I feel like look that'll work. My, my mom is here. My mom's been with me for two months, and I'm reminded of all of the childhood advice I received, which can be summed up as look it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Even pre internet, it was like, we bought you those encyclopedias. Exactly. There's a library. Go there. <laughs> What's the matter with you? So, this actually, I think, leads to the, the, Sort of the assignment we gave ourselves for this, this our first episode back in 2024 was to sort of see. So, what's the state of play on the generation headlines? Uh, anything, anything different? Anything changed? Anything new? And uh, I don't know. I kind of restricted myself to the last like three weeks of headlines just to see, like, on this cusp of a new year, would there be anything new? And uh, I think I can answer that question. And I think the answer is no. Yeah. I also found a lot of recycling happening. Mm, yes. <laughs> but I don't think it's a question I have for you. I know we're going to go through some of these headlines we each found. But a question I have is, do you think editors, writers, editors, publishers are aware, like, oh, this, this kind of headline sells, keep doing it? Or do you think they are just lazy and they're like, I saw this guy on the train, so that must mean all millennials ride the train. Like, Here's my story. And the editor's like, great, run with it. So I think it's a little of both. I, I think there is just a bit of like, we know that these stories get uh, picked up and read about and they're, they're going to be in the most popular headline section tomorrow. I also think there's a certain amount of like, I, I wonder to the extent to which that is still true. I mean, thinking back to our conversation with Taylor Lawrence, where like a lot of these, especially like the newspaper sites that are more interested now in driving to subscription as opposed to driving to clicks, I wonder how much those things still matter to people. And and I don't know the short answer to that. So I will say I, I'm probably willing to weight more heavily the second theory, which is like, some reporter saw people who appeared to be younger than him or her on the subway reading paper books and concluded that Gen Z is really into paper books, <laughs> which they might be. I mean, one of the headlines I found is that both millennials and G go, Gen, Gen, G, <laughs> uh, Gen Z go to the library more than other, other generations. So maybe they do like a, a like a solid paper book. Um, Was that I mean, supported I by data? Uh, yes, I think the the age of like people getting library memberships is is measurable. So but I think we can also go back to uh, saying like um, there are more of them. <laughs> but also, if you're only measuring people who are getting new library cards, just by logic, the older people that would be interested in libraries already have a library card, like me, like you, right? How dare you call me an older person? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, like my my mom was literally telling me about one of her neighbors who's in her 80s who like goes to the library all the time. Like, right, I do too. She's not counted as a new library membership. She's Well, that's what I mean. What they're measuring is new new users, new subscribers to a library card. Well, by Yes. This isn't complicated. And go figure. 
the people who are new in your customer base are people who haven't been in your customer base before. Correct. And if there are a lot of them in general <laughs> in a given age band, yes. then yes, you would expect to see most of your new customers coming from that. Absolutely. It's math, and I know math is hard, but but it's uh, also I mean math. Sign up for (laughs) it's numerical math, but it's also logic, which in high school was part of my math. Like, if if then what's that called? Syllogism. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but but I think like uh, this is this is the other thing about this. Like again, living where I live, where there's really very little reason to write about this place. There's not a lot of people who live here. There's not a lot going on. But every summer, there are multiple pieces about the Hamptons in general and East Hampton in particular. And the reason for this is somebody that works for the New York Times came to East Hampton for the weekend. And I, I probably to like get reimbursed on their dinner expenses and the the, the jitney, <laughs> they <laughs> like wrote up a piece about right. the new the new hot restaurant in Springs and decided to make it a thought piece about how Springs is the Soho of East Hampton, which is like, I mean, maybe not. Sure, (laughs) you can try to make that a thing if you want to. I don't know that it's really a thing. I mean, even like again, I was joking about learning about comedy in the Sunday Times magazine, but there was also like a whole thing about pizza in New Haven, and it's like, of course, there's a thing about pizza in New Haven. Most of the people who work at the New York Times went to Yale. Like someone went back to for a, for some kind of alumni event or whatever, you know, to did speak to alma mater. Did you just drop a, those damn Ivy League elites on me? Is that what I is that what I just heard? No, I think like you probably have the same thing at the Oregonian where it's like the best pizza in Eugene, and right. it's like, well, there's an answer to that. It's Tracktown. Right. And secondly, like. Of course, you're do- you all went to U of O. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not true, but but like, let's say let's say that that's true. This seems it's, this it's seems just, easy and easy right. and easy exactly. Like, I went to New Haven and ate a bunch of pizza, and I told my editor that I thought it was really good, and they were like, "Well, why don't you write it up?" I'm like, <laughs> we're all super interested in that because we also lived in New Haven for four years. Like, <laughs> you just gave me an idea, which is in when when you and I were growing up. And I don't know if this is true or not. This is not even a hypothesis, but there was probably an editor who was more of an institution at whatever newspaper or newsroom or whatever was producing reporting. So they had longevity. Yep. But now I I wonder, you know, even earlier when I said, do you think the editors are aware? Like, are there editors? I'm not sure. Um, Maybe they're managers with an editor title, but the... I wonder if there's so much turnover or people, editor, you know, the mature experience editors have left that you have new people that are coming in that don't keep that institutional memory of like, we've already written this pizza story 400 times, or don't you guys see the cycle because it's a new person who's now a 28 year old, who's the oldest person by far at that website and is the, is the editor. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You saw those people on the train reading books. Perfect. I get it. I mean, I think obviously it depends on the property, right? But the big national newspapers, people park at those newspapers. Like they will spend 40 years working for the New York Times and nothing else. That's what Taylor told us. Yeah. And and I think that that continues to be largely true. And I think it's particularly true if you're an editor, if you're a contributor or a reporter or whatever, you're going to hop around a little bit more. But once you get into that editor seat, you're not giving up the editor seat. You might move from one desk to another. But I would also say this, like, in college, I published a, a bi uh, whatever, bi-monthly, bi-weekly, whatever it is, every other week <laughs> we put out a magazine. And there were things that we did every year. Like we did a roundup of happy hour specials every year. We did something about parking tickets every year. Like th- there were things that we just knew were kind of, and like there was a thing called the student incidental fee, which was this additional charge on top of tuition and lodging and all that kind of stuff that paid for student groups and subsidized your athletics tickets and whatever. And it just kind of went up every year. So every year we wrote about the incidental fee. Like these are kind of servicey consumer reports kind of links that people love to click on. And I think anything about raising your kids, anything about the workplace, anything about feeling like you thought you understood how some piece of culture worked and now it's changed right underneath your feet 
they're just perennially interesting to people. But these articles, because they're so similar, mm-hmm. is that what they're doing? You know, when we, when we last year, uh, when we started in season one, we did a headline. We had fun with millennials are killing, but all the, also all the headlines about how, hey, boomers, millennials are changing the game. You know, you thought it was X, but it's now it's Y, or that you like this and they like that, whatever. How many times can you keep doing that to the same? Because because the reason I go there is because one of the headlines I found was from, it's Fox Business, <laughs> and they wrote an article, or they published an article, I should say, because there's a video clip, and there's also a, a write-up, and they had a career coach come on there to talk about, of course, the, the ever-convenient, it's not millennials only, it's millennials and Gen Z. Yes. I, th- I think that's one thing we can say now is that um, there are a lot of headlines now that are millennials and Gen Z, millennials, comma, Gen Z. Yes. <laughs> Younger, whatever and in fact, it just means millennials and Gen Z. What I've noticed is it's Gen Z is now first in the sentence. It used to be millennials and Gen Z, and now it's Gen Z and millennials. So this mm-hmm. this one is called How Gen Z and Millennials Want to Work in 2024, colon, I saw this. Lazy Girl Jobs, Bare Minimum Mondays, and Less. Yeah. And then, yeah. this yeah. is my they favorite don't part. Work. Young people don't want to work. <laughs> well, of course. So according to the headline, youth doesn't want to work, even though millennials are 40 plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Those damn midlife <laughs> employees don't want to work anymore. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. But then, then the subhead says, uh, this solutions career coach reveals why career trends don't re- represent the entire population. It's like, but don't put that in the headline, man. Don't put that in the headline. We gotta, yeah, we're gonna hedge. Gotta make sure that, like, you know, that Gen Z and millennials are into lazy girl jobs, bare minimum Mondays, don't want to work. Which is also funny because I found, uh, I think, literally, like a a headline today that was in the Guardian, and the headline is Jodie Foster says Generation Z can be really annoying, quote unquote, to work with. And the thing about oh, it, though, I love when you get to paragraph four, and it's like, this is what she actually said. <laughs> She's so she does two <laughs> things, which I think are like hilarious and exactly like the millennial headlines. So the first quote is, they're really annoying, especially in the workplace. They're like, nah, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to come in at 1030 a.m. Or in emails, I'll tell them this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they're like, why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But then she says that when asked what she thought young people in the industry needed to hear, she said, quote, they need to learn how to relax, how to not think about it so much, how to come up with something that's theirs. I can help them find that, which is so much more fun than being with all the pressure behind it, the protagonist of the story. So like, they're not feeling it today. Isn't that kind of limiting? And also, don't take it so damn seriously. Right. Right. But also, they they use the critique as the headline, obviously, because there's more tension. But what she's really saying is like, here's some funny quirks, but I can help them find it and get to where they need to go if they want to advance in their career. And I'm happy to do that. Like the headline makes it sound like Jodie Foster, enemy of Gen Z. (laughs) It's also like this is a piece that summarizes an actual interview they published with the actor. So they kind of plucked out some things about the young people these days and turned that into a headline so that they could have something to say about Jodie Foster says Gen Z is annoying. And like, but actually the other thing she talks about is how she like actively reached out to Bella Ramsey because she wanted them to introduce her at some event and that it was important for these two people who, you know, obviously Jodie Foster being lesbian and Bella Ramsey being non-binary, like there's this other version of diversity that's like, okay. And she even makes this point of like, okay, you have this incredible diverse people that you've invited to this event that I think was from like Elle magazine or something. And they're all beautiful, but they're all wearing false eyelashes and tight dresses and whatever. Can we get two actors who don't conform to femininity to represent fashion and acting? And like, so she's like actively reaching out to a 20 year old to like show up together, elevate Bella, have Bella elevate her, like, you know, do do all of that (laughs) together. And then has a whole conversation about like the challenge of raising boys when the boys have two slash three moms um, because she's, you know, remarried now. Mm -hmm. And so like, 
he apparently was picking up his cues about how to be a dude from social media and television. And she's like, actually, being a jerk is not the only way to be a man. (laughs) (laughs) But it is the best way. Um, beg to differ. Um, <laughs> so, so like taken in its entirety, it's actually like she has lots of ideas about young people, and most of them are actually very sympathetic and empathetic and wanting to help, and not really very derogatory at all. Like, had nothing critical to say about Bella Ramsey at all, and said it was just like this is an actor that I think is amazing, is on the come up, and like we can stand together as a different vision of what it looks like to be an elegant person in, in Hollywood. Like, whatever. Like, how important of a stand is that? I don't know, but... That idea of, oh, how can I, how can I include another take on femininity? That in, in a headline from Fox, that would be, or The Post, that would be attributed to something a millennial or a Gen Z would do. But here's Jodie Foster adopting this behavior, recognizing why it's important, making the space and actively putting herself out there and saying, okay, I'm going to make this invitation. I'm going to identify the person that maybe is the gateway to solving this with me and extending the invitation. That's not the headline. No, you know, not why not? <laughs> no, instead of like, you know, <laughs> whatever, Jodie Foster really wanted to work with Bella Ramsey, you know, <laughs> whatever is, which would be an interesting headline. Like, tell me more. What, what did they work on? Together? What are they doing? Oh, yeah. L Foundation event, you know, would love to see them in something together or have Jody direct Bella in something like that's a cool story. But instead, it's yeah, Gen Z is so annoying. They're just so annoying. And And obviously, she's like half joking about it. (laughs) Yeah. The business article I reference, of course, doesn't really get far beyond quiet quitting, lazy girl jobs, bare minimum Mondays, you know, it's, it's buzzwords. Now it's a there's a video that's attached. That's a segment from Fox Business where they have lots of chuckles about young people and how nobody wants to work anymore. <sighs> and maybe we can play a clip of that right here. We'll we'll pull the we'll pull the link and put it in just so people can get a a, a feel for for this. Because once again, I think we we do have to acknowledge the the Murdoch empire of it all. Correct. <laughs> that like the post and the sun and <laughs> and fox business and whatever <laughs> love these stories. They love yes. these things. They will pluck a meme out of obscurity and say all the kids are into this now which also made me laugh because there was there was a piece that i found that was about you can tell the difference because you know it might be hard to tell the difference between a 40 year old and a 20 year old so here's here's a hint on how to how to distinguish between the two of them wait was this the bit on on aging no this is this is about scarf wearing my oh tell me more about the correct way correct way of wearing a scarf by age. So the millennial way is you like fold the scarf in half, pull it around your neck, and push the ends through the loop that you've created by folding it in half. That's the millennial way. That's how you know it's a millennial. Okay. If it's a Gen Zer, they put the <laughs> scarf on like neck first, throw it over their shoulders, and then like wrap it around so it tucks back in through the 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 loop around the neck, which I think is ingenious. Like this probably really holds the scarf in place. It's not as bulky. Yeah. You can see this two ends of the scarf falling down in front of you as opposed to like being this giant bulk ascot situation. But apparently this is how you can tell. And this is pulled from a TikTok video that has 4 million views. 4 million views on TikTok, which I, I just need to talk to the reporter and let them know that actually in TikTok land, it's not a lot of not views. Lot. <laughs> I know. My kids get four million just for like get ready with me's. Yeah, (laughs) with me. (sighs) I am in the desert, so scarf wearing. I'm like, so there's more than one way to wear a scarf. Yes, yes. You're in a t-shirt, and I'm in a sweater. So you know. (laughs) Yeah, for listener, for people who are not watching, I actually had to take my hooded sweatshirt off at the beginning because it's so warm (laughs) in January here. So. And I'm sitting here in like a sweater and jeans going, mm, it's a bit cold in here. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's that. I and so I, I think those things are hilarious. And also like the credulity about various consumer trends that are very driven by millennials and Gen Z. And so there was a, a piece I found that didn't really say millennial or say Gen Z, but it's a, a New York Times piece from uh, December 20th. Uh, the headline is, What Social Trends Taught Us About the 2023 Economy? 
From girl dinners to chat GPT, a look back at the trends that broke the internet and taught us about the American economy this year. And so there's like Barbie. (laughs) But like the Barbie connection is not just like about the amount of money that Barbie grossed or the cross-selling of Barbie products that probably happened. It's instead like it's a social commentary and we should talk about how women now, you know, young women now work at near record rates, but middle-aged men are experiencing falling employment rates. And it's like, okay, you've connected that to Barbie. That's interesting. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but okay. Um, So my, my favorite is like, Ken is trying to find his place in the world, said Betsy Stevenson, an economist at the University of Michigan. And I just want to say to Betsy, you didn't have to take the bait. You didn't have to take the bait. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) Then you, of course, got to talk about Taylor and Beyonce and how they are like the world's sixth largest economy or whatever. And that this really shows that like America has a willingness to spend money despite inflation. But then we've got to talk about girl dinners. Girl dinners, as you know, are grown-up lunchables. Right. And that this is like, you know, the 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 top ranking cheap food trend, cheap-ish, as they put it in the in the piece. Um <laughs> uh, so yes, the way the way that it gets framed is like a charcuterie board is what millennials call it. A plowman's is what or plowman's is what Brits call it. A lunchable is what Oscar Meyer calls it. But to Generation Z, it was girl dinner. I don't think it's a generational thing. I, I don't know. It was a meme for sure. Um, it was yeah. a meme that people like talking about a lot, much like, as they say in this piece, much like the Roman Empire and men meme, which which does remind me, Adam, I never asked you how much you think about the Roman Empire. I'm thinking about it right now, baby. I'm always. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I didn't. That that meme, like many memes, confounded me, and I was like, what, what, "How did? What's even the source of that?" But I mean, this is this is slightly inappropriate. But when that meme emerged, of like men are constantly thinking about the Roman Empire, I felt a little bit like this reminds me of the sort of trope about men thinking about baseball. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I was like, are they thinking about the Roman Empire <laughs> like while having sex? Or when when are they thinking about Well the Roman appa- according to the meme, according to meme mm-hmm. lore, all yeah. the time. All the time. No matter what's all happening. Roman Empire. Yes, and, and apparently the evidence for this is that uh, Mark Zuckerberg named his children after Roman emperors or something. I don't know. I don't want to, I, I want to leave that. I want to leave that there. We're going to do another investigative podcast about Mark Zuckerberg and his. <laughs> Let's his not. <laughs> family lineage. Um, Can we skip that too? Yeah. And then their other, their other trends are like Ozempic and ChatGPT. But why are those generational? Well, so I think one of the things is like, and then the final thing that they commented on was that the Oxford English Dictionary word of the year was Riz. Um, which is Gen Z shorthand for charisma, if you didn't. But I don't already. think that's even a Gen Z word. I don't know. It's apparently a Gen Z word. We've decided. It's like <laughs> mid and sus and uh, <laughs> cap and all of the other things that the kids say when they're playing Fortnite. But <laughs> but I think what's, what's interesting about this is this piece does not hang itself on a generational you know, generation trends. That's what I mean. But it focuses on things that can be attributed mainly to millennials and Gen Z. Right. Beyonce and Taylor, girl dinners, even things like, I don't know, Ozempic. Anytime there's a new technology, we attribute it to the young. I think what's interesting about, about this one is like this like chat GPT raised eyebrows in economics is like, okay, but meanwhile... Goldman and uh, McKinsey are sort of estimating that over the next 10 years or so, you'll see about 0.4% increase in GDP over the 10 years. Right. It's not a major impact. But it's also not strictly, none of that stuff, despite the headline, has a generational bent to it. The author didn't take great pains to make that connection. Well, and they didn't, you know, to her credit, she did not say millennials or Gen Z in the headline. It's just yeah. social trends taught us about the 2023 economy. And as you know, those belong to the youngs. The youths. 
That's fair. However, there there are also multiple pieces out about how like the internet now belongs to Gen Z and millennials have aged out or the millennial internet is dead. So Wired has one that's the millennial internet is dead or something. Mm-hmm. And and then the New York Times, Max Reed has a piece. Yeah, the Wired piece is the year the millennial internet died. Mm-hmm. And Max's piece is the year millennials aged out of the internet. Yes. And there's a there was a piece yesterday from Axios. So there's there's three pieces that are colliding here. There's there's millennials are getting old and they're being replaced in culture, which that's that's mm-hmm. interesting. So that's the first story you mentioned. But Axios published a thing yesterday, which ties into the the other part of the Venn diagram, which is about nostalgia, which at the end mm-hmm. of 2023, there was a ton of articles, a ton of writing done about nostalgia and how bad it is, but also, you know, how comfortable it is. And the Axio piece I just referenced was about pining for pre-internet time and how uh, Gen Alpha and Gen Z are cur- are increasingly curious about what life was like before the internet. And it's like, that's actually not, <laughs> sometimes it might be true, you know, anecdotally, someone may ask a question, how did you meet your friends out before you had cell phones? And you could actually see their physical location on your phone. But that trend is not driving behavior or it's more like dinner table conversation no, in my experience. I mean, the, the dinner table conversation of like, how did you meet up with people? How did you figure out what to buy? Like, I, I just spent Christmas in the UK with my Gen Z niece and nephew. I think they're both Gen Z. Um, one's 18, one's 13. And the 18-year-old, the question she asked at dinner was a really important one because she's different systems in the UK, but she's in college for, for travel and hospitality. Uni. And no, not university. Oh, okay. <laughs> so glad different. I have. And so she so she's in college for travel and hospitality. She's been doing some really great like internships and summer jobs and that kind of thing. But she asked a question at dinner about how concerned should she be about her long-term career prospects given AI and automation and robots? And like, that's the question she's concerned about. She's concerned about her future. She's not concerned about my past. Right. Oh, except as like a passing curiosity. Right. How did yes. you use to book travel or how did you used to do, how did this go before? Yeah. She wasn't even interested in that. <laughs> the, right. the thing that was right. giving yeah. her anxiety was like, because, you know, in part we were talking about her mother also works in this field. She works for, for Virgin Travel and is like a, I know, I can't even remember what they're called, but she's like a Disney specialist for Virgin Travel. And so whatever. But, you know, there is a question about how much of those jobs could be fully automated, how much of those jobs could be replaced by a chatbot. And so as we were talking about that at dinner, my niece's reaction was a reasonable one, which was to go, what does that mean for me in the long term? Right. Am I just wasting my time here? And like, so so these sorts of things are like, I think these are conversations between parents and kids that are happening. And it's like, and I, I suspect, frankly, that it's more often that it's the parents who initiate the conversation. I feel like I've been seeing more older millennials, young Gen Xers talking about like, hey, remember when you used to have to get to a place without Google Maps on your phone mm-hmm. sitting right next to you in the car? Hey, do you remember how like you had to memorize phone numbers? Like th- those kinds of things are sort of the things that you start thinking about in middle age. Remember what it was like when I was a kid? Right. And so then you bring it up with your kids and they're like, no, surely not. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the idea of a rotary phone or whatever. But the other thing that's interesting about this is we do know that nostalgia is being marketed heavily to everybody, but especially to Gen Zers. And so one of the things I found in the headlines that was cracking me up was there's a lot actually about... So here I think is actually an interesting shift. I feel like to a certain degree, the youth trends prior to, I don't know when, prior to some point, some breaking point possibly the last few years has been a little bit tilted to a little bit tilted to boys in part because it's been a technology driven story and the idea was that like tech founders are men and they're young men who dropped out of an Ivy League college start the next billion dollar unicorn right and so every you know when when we used to get uh segmentations from technology brands when i worked in in agencies their imaginary best case audience was a early, you know, first half of the millennial generation 
guy who worked in technology or something else where he had a lot of disposable income and like he was white or Asian and he was really into gadgets and he was a tech influencer and like, but he was a he, even if the, we've talked about this before, even if like the actual data of the segmentation study showed that she was like 52% male, that group, they were still presumed to be men. Gen Z is presumed to be female. Hmm. And so the pieces that are being written about Gen Z have a lot to do with how they look. And so there are pieces about tweakments, which are different than treatments. (laughs) And this is people in their early 20s, in their teens, getting. I know the exact article. You're going to be subversive and say getting top surgery, um, but like getting breast enhancements or breast reductions, depending on what their situation is, getting fillers in their 20s. What are we filling, ladies? Like, you're. But, you know, they're doing it for the gram and well, for the Snapchat or the TikTok, I guess. But like that is something we're very worried about. So there's all these pieces about why Gen Z is aging more than millennials. And the stories are mainly interviewing plastic surgeons who are increasingly treating teenagers and early 20 somethings with the kinds of treatments that typically like women in their mid late 40s and into their 50s start getting. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, all of last year, it was all about the 90s. But the pieces I've been reading for the last over the last week are now like, nope, the 90s are dead. It's all about Y2K, which is the is the shorthand now for 2000s. Right. And so the the piece I found about that was um, was about (laughs) the return of chunky highlights. And, I saw this too. Yes. <laughs> and Gen Z, millennials cringe. Yes. Gen Z's throwback chunky highlights hair trend makes millennials cringe. Don't do it. This is a New York Post headline. Now, one of the images that they show is a young woman who is clearly influenced by one of Billie Eilish's looks, where she had the like neon green roots and Streaks, all of that. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. And like, whatever, <laughs> you know, hairstylists have all moved on. I have learned in my own journeys with trying to get a hair color I actually want to like lived in blonde, which is like this very natural blonde with kind of built in roots so that you don't have to get your roots done all the time. And like everything's supposed to be as natural looking as possible. And when I went in recently, I was like, I am not going for natural. I don't want anybody to look at this and go, that's natural. She was born with that. You're not trying to fool anybody. That is not the goal. (laughs) 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 I want people to look at my hair and go, oh, that's interesting. Like that that's actually what I want. And that's because I'm bored of my hair. So, but anyway, but like that piece is built on the Y2K trend shift. So now we've moved on from selling the 90s to Gen Z. We're selling the 2000s to Gen Z. The flip side of that, I was flicking through Barron's this morning as I do, because I'm a a middle-aged man from the 1950s. And so there was a piece in there about Abercrombie having made a bit of a comeback. Like it was in bad financial straits and now it's doing really well. And part of the reason for this is they have decided that their target audience is 20 to 40 year olds instead of teenagers. (laughs) And the teenagers can go to Hollister. Right. Which is like, isn't that why you developed those brands? Like that second brand was, wasn't that the intention all along? (laughs) Right, exactly. But like they were still holding on to the idea that like the the super youngs were gonna were gonna shop there. But it's an interesting sort of evolution for them to make of having been a brand really for teenagers and college age, early twenty somethings, mm-hmm. to say like, all right, well they have now aged up, and maybe right. we should just stay relevant for them because they're used to shopping here. Yeah, and so like we'll just give them something that's more age appropriate for. 35 year olds instead of 20 year olds. But yeah, that, that the, the, the one thing that I feel like is different about the way we're talking about Gen Z is I think we're really focused on the women and we're really focused on how they look. And I think this is also to do with the anxiety about how they are online. And that connects to those pieces that are like, oh, millennials are no longer relevant on the internet. Yeah. But it also, the, the other, so I found the same post article about cosmetic trends. And I found actually I tapped a vein there. There's there's a whole over that, I don't know, I'll call it five day period. There was looks like uh, 50 different stories that probably all generated from one quote that the post might have been the first one to run with it. And to me, what was interesting about it is there is an insight there, as you pointed out, that is about these tweakments are things that were designed and most needed by people in their 40s that are actually aging. They're seeing the effects of that, but they are being adopted by young people, probably because of the internet and influencers and having visibility of it, which 
kids our age wouldn't have had back in you know pre-internet days. But the yeah. headlines are about Gen Z versus millennials. They're all couched in this way that's Gen Z is aging worse than millennials or Gen Z looks older than millennials. Gen Z is uh, this these things, these cosmetic trends are having an impact on them, which is causing them to in some way be worse than millennials. And I thought, why are we, why does this have to be a generational pissing match? What what what's why yeah. is that important? The the story could be just as meaningful just by saying like why are 20 year olds getting these treatments? I want to read that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could actually write something meaningful there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but this is this is the thing where, you know, one of the things I I also think is a persistent trend in generational reporting is like one generation does this thing, this gen- this other generation feels a certain kind of way about it. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> like there was another one that was uh, Gen Z loves watching TV with closed captions on and Gen X is bewildered. And it's like, what's it to you? Why do you need the counterpoint? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> right? I mean, it, that's not an interesting article anyway. But why do they need the counterpoint? And that going back to millennials rising, it's always been a how do we pit this generation against some comparison point, some enemy? And yes. it was boomers because that's who wrote the book. But then. Right. Every article since has followed the template that's, it used to be this, now it's that, and those people hate it, and these people love it. Yes. I I also think, and there was, you know, that's the thing with the, um, there was also a piece about emojis at work, (laughs) and like, but like, part of it is, it goes back to the thing we've also talked about before of like, doing your survey, asking people about things like the use of emojis in internal communications at work, whether using Slack or email or anything else, right? And so then we, but then we do the crosstabs based on what generation the the people surveyed are in. Right. And so like Gen X thinks that the eggplant is the most offensive emoji, but Gen Z thinks that the peach uh, emoji is the most offensive one. And it's like, you know, whereas boomers don't like the middle finger. Right. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but like, but you know, but I, it is, it's like, and I think there's a book coming out that I saw it quoted in one of these things that is about like the coming intergenerational war. <laughs> yes. And it's like, really? Like, this is just, I feel like the thing that we constantly circle in this conversation is like just same as it ever was. And the trick is, can I give it a new name and polish it up a bit and write a book about it and go on the Today Show and then get the post to cover, you know, something from from it? And, and you know, the, the plastic surgery thing seemed to have come from an actual survey of members of the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. And it spun a million thought pieces. Now, one of them is actually kind of interesting because it's like in the Zoe report, which is, you know, a, a fashion and beauty blog. And mm-hmm. they looked at how Gen Z millennials and Gen X really feel about plastic surgery. So they they looked at that survey from surgeons, from plastic surgeons and and dermatologists and what have you. And then they looked at like various hashtags on TikTok. And then they asked some women across these three age cohorts what their attitudes and opinions about plastic surgery were. And they just included pull quotes in the piece. And like that one's actually kind of interesting because it's just showing like, okay, there has been a cultural shift in attitudes towards plastic surgery, fillers, procedures that aren't even, that you can get done in these like med spas where it's not really like going to a plastic surgeon's office. Right. You know, the the rise of those is fascinating. We we drove across country for Thanksgiving and then drove back and stopped in all kinds of small towns <laughs> across America. And one of the things that I noticed in small towns across America is every last one of them has a med spa. You can get work done anywhere in America. Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. And just these kinds of things, these lip injections or these non-surgical outpatient <laughs> yes. things. Yeah. Yeah. Comic book stores, escape rooms, med spas, and then that one store that sells crystals. Yeah. Every town has one. And 99 Starbucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though often that's like on the highway, like it's on the exit before you get off the exit to go into a place like Sedalia, Missouri. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that's, but so it's an interesting cultural trend, but why don't we talk about it as a cultural trend instead of there's something going on with Gen Z? Right. But like we want to make the culture be the gen. Yes, and I'm, I found 
three or four articles that were the most, to me, the most, I don't know, I engaged with them the most. One was from the Post, one was from Board Panda. And even in the Board Panda one, it's it reverts to millennials have a heightened sensitivity towards skincare and diet. <laughs> they do? Is it because some of the Gen Zers are teenagers and they're like eating fast food and like they don't have to deal with mortality yet? Could that be why? Yeah. Well, and and again, I think like the it's the it's the push and the pull, right? And and I I still think that this would I have no idea how you would even begin to study this. But I really feel like the thing that makes the millennial narrative different from Gen X and baby boomers and whatever is that it was not just describing a generation. It was projecting what a generation would be like and then selling them on that identity yes. and then asking them to perform that identity. Totally. And now I, <laughs> I recognize the irony in saying isn't it exhausting to have to perform this generational identity? Because that sounds like the most Gen X thing in the world to say. But isn't it exhausting? <laughs> like, isn't it exhausting? And and you look at like I feel like I was I was relatively early to this, having like sur- occasionally going on surfing um, weird pockets of Instagram and and TikTok for my work. But like, Anne Helen Peterson is like the person who's done the the best early writing about this. Though Joe Piazza is on it, and other um, Bridget Todd and other people are doing pieces about this as well. But like the trad wife thing, and yeah. people are starting to stitch it together and go, "That's not actually this weird side pocket of the alt right internet, <laughs> right? It is connected to the health and wellness." stuff. And that is connected to a kind of purity culture thing, which is very old in America. Yes, that is not a new internet thing. It's not a new internet thing. It's a new version of an old thing, which is about kind of cultural and racial purity and gender purity and the performance of femininity and all of these and like what it is to be a good woman and a good mother and all of those things. And the the kind of approach to beauty has been through the lens of health and wellness. And so it's been about the like, whatever, that the ingredients aren't toxic and that, you know, <laughs> I see some millennial influencers who love to sort of talk about how, uh, and I don't know how true this is as they get into their mid forties, but like, you know, that their, their skin is just naturally dewy because of the smoothies that they drink and the diet, you know, the fact that they don't drink or whatever it is. And it's like, I don't know. I just want to pay, play that ever present, you know, Instagram reels track of, are you having any fun? <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem to be having any fun. <laughs> like You seem to be really self-important about your dewy skin, which will dry out. <laughs> Like I'm sorry to inform you, but you have news. Yeah, will, will de- betray you eventually. <laughs> like, totally. that is what bodies do. You're naturally <laughs> so, dewy because of the smoothies. I love it. Yeah, and and also all the really expensive moisturizers that you buy. So like, <laughs> but like, which which you don't really need to spend that much money on a moisturizer. But this is this is like everybody thinks they're doing it the right way, and when someone else does it a different way, they go, "But why?" <laughs> and that then I think the other thing going back to the editor question is the reporters are millennials. The editors now are more likely to be millennials. I think they're probably still being kind of boxed out by the Gen Xers who haven't retired yet and aren't going to for 20 more years. And so like maybe they're not really senior assignment editors, but they are thinking about their own status in the world. Like these pieces about the millennial internet is over are about millennials feeling like the internet has moved on to a different way of being and it's not their way of being. And the thing is like, it's the same thing with everything, which is like, this is being driven by the young people. And it's like, no, it's being driven by business imperatives. It's being driven by time maximizing shareholder value. Yeah. <laughs> that, that This is why the internet is the way that it is. And then occasionally, insane billionaires. Like occasionally, it's not about maximizing shareholder value in the traditional sense. It's about whatever it is that keeps Elon's ketamine high going. Like <laughs> that's... <laughs> Poor guy. <clears throat> no, no, no. He does not get sympathy. Sorry. <laughs> I tried. Uh, <laughs> I tried to slip that by you. <laughs> I refuse. Fair. <laughs> but these are fascinating pieces because then I think the other thing that has has evolved. So now instead of being solely focused on 
millennials. We're in that transition period now where it's millennials versus or millennials and. So when it's convenient, we lump them together and call them young consumers. When we want to talk about, when we want a conflict story, we're pitting millennials versus Gen Z. Sometimes we lump anybody that's not a boomer together against boomers. Yes. (laughs) The other thing that I think was interesting is in that second half of 2023, there were a lot more stories, it seems to me, I would be interesting to do a Google Trend search on this, about Gen X. Like nobody had been talking about Gen X for quite a long time. <laughs> and it was literally a meme that they were the forgotten generation. And then all of a sudden, lots of pieces about Gen X. And I found my favorite one. Oh, uh, I have to hear it. And my favorite one that is just solely on, on the headline, which is from Business Insider. Gen X is being ignored. Gen Xers say they like it that way. <laughs> yes, I read this. <laughs> what I, I was like, is, oh yeah, it's kind of true. It's a piece in Business Insider about ignoring about a generation being like. <laughs> it's about ignoring a generation and the generation not caring. And it's like, why are you writing? Well, we write about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand the irony? <laughs> Oh my God. (laughs) Only business. I I just thought, I was like, this is it. (laughs) This is the whole thing right here. Um, I think it's pretty amazing (laughs) as a, as a piece of writing. What, what struck you from it? I I read the same article beside the overwhelming (laughs) irony. Well, I mean, obviously it's, it's a business insider piece. So I, I I have to confess, like you get what you need out of the three bullet points at the top of any business insider. My favorite is Gen Xers want to be left alone. They like being left out of the conversation, <laughs> but they're warning other generations not to come for them because they can win any battle. <laughs> I, I love this idea that like Gen X is nothing but a pack of street toughs, like with switchblades ready to like, boy, boy, crazy boy. <laughs> it's all sharks and jets out here for like the it. Gen Xers. That's, and that's, I just find it, it's insane. That aligns with my experience as a Gen Xer. Uh, I have my jeans cuffed and uh, my, if you're not watching, you're listening. I have my white t-shirt sleeves are rolled up with a pack of squares in them. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is what happened when you were handed a latchkey as a child. You just went out and joined a gang because there's no point in like (laughs) going home, eating snacks and watching Sesame Street or whatever. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Or like four o'clock talk shows like that. I have one more thing that I noticed at the back half of the year. Are you ready for generation alpha? Oh, I'm so ready for Generation Alpha. And I'm, I'm so excited to be told what they're going to be like. And you know what? Spoiler alert. They're a lot like millennials. Does this sound familiar at all? So I found this article from Morning Consult from March. And for the rest of the things I was searching, I didn't want to go back further. But I found an article from um, December, no, November that cited, and it was kind of like a backward trail. So this morning consult research was the first, was the genesis to this. Maybe in 20 years, someone will do a podcast of this and be like, this was the article that sent these guys down this rabbit hole. Forget about 20 years from now. We're just going to do it in real time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go. It's called Gen Alpha's Influence Starts Now. Ready for paragraph one? I'm going to read it. Gen Alpha, parentheses, ages zero to nine, is being reared during the confluence of many once-in-a-lifetime events. Does that at all sound familiar? Mm, mm-hmm. They're the only people that, the zero-year-olds, by the way, are the yeah. only people that experience the pandemic and will have some sort of life change from it right. at age zero. Right. They were also the first generation born after the launch of the iPad, so they are digital natives. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> it actually says something like, uh, 54% most alphas own a tablet. Their future points to virtual reality. <laughs> what? They're zero to nine. Assuming uh-huh. an equal distribution, 33% of them are under three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I found this, I found an article of someone taking it down. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a millennial, I think. Might have been a Gen Zer that was taking it down and having just taken the piss out of every single bullet point of it. And I, I so enjoyed it that I went and found the study and I researched. So they, it was a survey oh. of 2,000 Gen Alpha parents asking them questions. And I wonder if those people were high on edibles or 
Just like, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see what, if, if this is going to lead to the shaping of this generation, let's see how crazy we can go. You know? Yes. Yes. It's, it's very, um, i I saw a couple of pieces like this one was in Axios. It was a landmark generation introducing gen alpha <laughs> and it was like, you know, yep. So they're, they're, uh, they're, digital natives because they grew up with an iPad and TikTok, you know, they get smartphones by nine years old, <laughs> you know, their defining event. And, and, you know, I think this is fascinating. Their defining event is COVID-19. Right. Uh, which is funny because I'm pretty sure Gen Z would tell us that that's their defining event. And I think millennials would also tell us it's one of their defining events that and the financial crisis, which of course only they lived through. Right. Um, and also sometimes lately, I feel like millennials want you to know that they, you know, they really came of age with 9-11 and that was the beginning of their, of their transformation. Um, no one else experienced 9-11 or the forever wars. And then you have like, uh, oh, uh, the, the thing that I also love is the, um, the part where like, they're going to be a huge consumer force. Right. They're going to never heard that before. They're going to be replacing the baby boomers in the workforce by 2024, which makes sense because by 2024, most uh, boomers are past retirement age. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) we should expect them (laughs) to be mostly replaced in the workforce. Um, I'm glad you mentioned this. This study also (laughs) talks about their purchasing power and brand preference. And there's a bullet point that says their parents want them to eat healthy, but they want McDonald's. And it's like, yeah, they're kids nine. like chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, this they're is not, seven years old. <laughs> that's not unique to alphas. Um. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's so good. It's so good because we've learned nothing. I mean, th- if, if there's anything that I feel like we can say now after 9-11, the financial crisis, COVID-19, it's that we never learn. No. Like no. The, the truth about us all now is we are in a... 20 plus year span of just refusing to learn lessons. And so now we're going to do that with this. <laughs> we're just not going to learn anything. We're just going to keep The people going. writing the stories are different than the generation of people who wrote the last stories about the last generation for the next generation who didn't consume the last generations of stories. So it feels new. Maybe that's the hypothesis. I think it's just everyone is con- like, this is a thing that I feel like I don't know, listening to a lot of podcasts as I do and having most of the hosts be older millennial men, there is a lot that's happening to them as they have their first couple of children and, you know, realize that they are now senior in their careers as opposed to junior in their careers and they are homeowners and they are business owners and whatever else is like this kind of desire to say, well, we were the ones like the thing that I love now about millennials, millennials were supposed to be digital natives. They they grew up on the internet and they did not know a time before then. No, right? Gen Alpha, the they're the real natives. Yeah. Yes. So now what millennials are doing is saying, we're really the generation that bridged this divide. We're the ones who remember before the internet and after the internet. And I'm like, you're right. Gen X experienced none of that. Neither did boomers. Boomers were complete. have never been on the internet. Right. <laughs> they never got online. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't even know what it is. Uh, <laughs> they're still writing letters and postcards. Obvi. Like, <laughs> and going to the library. So <laughs> this is just like, it's nuts. But people, like, th- this is where I, I feel like the, the Gen X uh, headlines that are like, just leave us alone and don't come for us, bro, because we will cut you. Like, that is hilarious to me because they are the generation that did not get sold an identity well, in the same way that yeah. millennials did in real time as they were coming of age, that they're trying to do with Gen Z, that they're clearly hell bent on doing with Gen Alpha, and that they did later in life to boomers. So boomers weren't branded as boomers, really, as teenagers. They were branded as boomers as they entered their 30s. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they got sold on what it meant to be a boomer after they'd already gotten married and bought their first home. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's how that one worked. And that was that's that made sense. Yes, from a capitalistic perspective, it was like, oh, we well, let's label them when they have money and they are buying the durable goods that we need to sell for the economy yeah. to run. Like yeah. that made sense when they're zero to nine years old. Yes. Stop it. <laughs> yes. One of my other favorite pieces that I found in our links um, was about, hilariously, OK Cola. Do you remember OK Cola? Of course I do. It's in my book. 
Oh, that's right. It is in your book. So <laughs> the thing I love about OKCola, okay so I, I, I worked at Wyden shortly after OKCola okay kind of died. And the reason it died is that it sucked. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. People didn't you like couldn't the describe it what it tastes like, except sometimes cough medicine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someone, someone at the agency described it as carbonated prune juice. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess other people felt like it just tasted like, like no one ever cleaned the gun for for soda, and so it just tasted like everything. I'd and say it was like fruitish. Yeah, yeah. It was unpleasant. And so this is where I learned the adage that nothing kills a bad product faster than great advertising. Because the ad, the campaign was really smart. The campaign was really a precursor of user-generated content, social marketing, all of that stuff. And the piece was hilarious because it reminded me of something very important, which is that it was absolutely aimed at Gen X. But it came out in 1994. The oldest Gen Xers were 30 in 1994. Mm-hmm. And so the headline that I saw was like, you know, it turns out emo kids, you know, didn't fall for this campaign. And it's like, no, they didn't fall for the product. And also emo kids. We didn't have emo. We didn't have emo. <laughs> and also these were people in their 20s, like solidly in their 20s in yeah. up to 30 when this yeah. product launched. Hold your horses, everybody. So, like, the retconning is hilarious. The, like, no, 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 as a millennial, I bridged this moment. And really, like, my defining tentpole events were, like, 9-11 and, the, and COVID or whatever. And, like, everybody's trying to own a cultural moment. And I think the interesting thing about Gen X is they were never offered a cultural moment. Uh, they were never told what they were supposed to be. They were described as basically losers and slackers. And so we didn't have to pay any attention to them. And that's it. And so the only other pieces you see about Gen X are, like, uh-oh you guys are coming up on retirement and you're not ready. Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how you compare to boomers. Nothing changes. Everything is Gen Xers fault. (laughs) Nothing happens to Gen X. Gen X happens to itself. And this is, this is the thing that I loved going through this exercise. Cause I really thought like, I don't know, maybe something will be different. And there are little differences like, okay, we're already talking about Gen Alpha. They're three years old, but we're talking about them as a, you know, major consumer force. Purchasing power. So much purchasing power, so much bluey based shopping. And (laughs) then like, you know, you know, worrying about what Gen Z looks like, because that seems to be very focused on the women in Gen Z. And then like sticking to our guns about whether or not millennials can afford homes, even though over half of millennials own homes at this point. Yeah. No, it it hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. And also like the little things that have changed are not good. <laughs> <laughs> like we're just going to body shame Gen Z. That's what we're going to do now for, for them. Um, ladies, I don't like the way you're coloring your hair and I don't like that you're getting fillers and I don't like any of your other fashion choices. And also why aren't you more concerned about your health and wellness? Why do you eat so much at McDonald's or whatever? (laughs) We're just doing a little, little millennial, little gen, gen X sprinkling, you know, mixing it together and applying it to Gen Z. And so I hope that they take my advice and opt out of this whole, sorry. They should, they should follow suit to what us Gen Xers did and say, leave us alone or we'll cut you. <laughs> exactly. We should get t-shirts. That should be our first piece of, of podcast merch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> leave us alone or we'll cut you. Yeah. So I, I think we've, I think we've cracked it. Nothing has changed. Uh, and so I no. think the, the, the thing though that we were talking about the other day is a desire to kind of talk more about these narratives as they're unfolding and kind of current day coverage and and less about where it all came from, but more about, you know, what's going on, why it's happening, how it affects anything. Yeah. I mean, now that we've, we've put that foundation in place of what's the source of all this silliness, let's, let's really dive into each of these narratives. Exactly. And I think there's a lot that's interesting now in this kind of Clearly, they, there's a move now to say, like, we're coming to some sort of head or conflict between the generations. And yeah. so that, I think, is a thing that we should pay some attention to, is, is why everyone's so hot for that story. I don't even understand what it means, but I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. All right. We did it. We recorded an hour. <laughs> <laughs> A little over an hour, actually, I think. So that's it. That's that's where we're starting. We are calling this season two. Uh, maybe we'll come up with a name for it. I don't know. We didn't really come up with a name for the first one, did we? Just millennials. We didn't. Millennial but I, myth. I like the episode title of Millennial Perennials. Millennial Perennials. Yes. All right. We'll use that. Maybe that's our season two. Who knows? There you go.
Yeah, because I think it's just like they're not really inventing new stories. They're just giving them slightly different flavors. This is more brand extension than new product development. <laughs> I, I love it. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Adam. It's good to see you. See ya. In the Demo is produced by Farah Bostic and Adam Pierno with support from the Difference Engine and edited by Allison Preisinger and Amp Studio. Music by Omega Man under the Creative Commons license. Go to inthedemopodcast.com for behind-the-scenes research and supporting information. Please rate and review the show. Someone once told us it helps.